the, uh, the preached word this morning will come from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 26 through 30. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 26 through 30. And if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the pew in front of you. So please feel free to follow along and take it along with you if you don't have one. And the word of God reads as follows. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Then he died at a good age, full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in that place. Now the acts of King David from first to last are written in Chronicles of Samuel the seer and in the Chronicles of Nathan the prophet and in the Chronicles of Gad the seer with accounts of all his rule and his might and of the circumstances that came upon him and upon Israel, and upon all the kingdoms of the country. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Amen. History records for us that Abraham Lincoln was, was fatally shot on the evening of April 14, 1865. And he died early the next Morning. One of the people at his side was the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton. And as Secretary Stanton sat there and watched as his president and commander-in-chief succumbed to the wounds, he stood and he said, now he belongs to the ages. And indeed, beloved, um, no American president captivates the American psyche like Abraham Lincoln does. No president has been the subject of more books and more analysis and more thought and more reflection than has President Lincoln. His, his character and complexity looms over the presidency of the United States like no other. He quickly became the standard by which all other presidents would be judged and measured. As it was for Abraham Lincoln, so it was also for David. I mean, no character in the history of Israel, looms as large as David does. If there was a Mount Rushmore for the Old Testament, no doubt the faces that we would see there would be Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. There we would see Moses, the great prophet who, who led God's people out of Israel. There we would see Elijah, the great miracle-working prophet. But there also we would see David. In fact, it would be David and his personality that would loom over all others. We know more about the life of David than we know about any figure in Scripture save Jesus Christ. We know him because we know his heart. We know his family. We, we know his, his feelings. We, 
We know his triumphs, we know his tragedies, we know his sorrows, and we know his songs. We know David like we know no other because the Bible has given to us more than any other person, save Christ, the heart of David. We know him. And in this, we know his heart was after God even though his head was not always there. And as we come to the end of David's life, we are reminded that even at the end, his life and his legacy reflects upon this heart that was after God. How appropriate, I think it is, that we come to the end of David's life on this Father's Day. And we look at a man whose life and legacy was after God. And how that life and that legacy testifies to the God that he loved. How instructive that is for us this morning, but particularly us fathers. As we look at the life and the legacy of David. And then we look at our own lives and consider what will be our legacy. The life of of David. And, you know, David loved the Lord. And the Bible tells us that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And if this is true of anybody, it would be true of David because David loved the Lord. But have you considered how much the Lord loved David? God loved David. It was evident from the very first time that he called him in 1 Samuel 18 to the end of his days here in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David loved God, but oh, how God loved David. And he set his affections upon him. And we know this because God made him a king. David was a king. Now, for us, in our minds, that's, that's, that's obvious. But, but, beloved, when you examine it and when you really think about it, this is an amazing reality. So David was a shepherd king, and he shepherded and he ruled Israel for some 40 years, up and down, highs and lows. For 40 years, he reigned over Israel. But have you ever thought, who is David to be king? Notice what the Bible says about it. It says, David, the son of Jesse. He was Jesse's son. In other words, beloved, he was a shepherd's boy. David was a shepherd. Now, I don't know if you thought about it, but shepherds don't become kings. 
When David was a little boy, he didn't have a picture of the king of Israel on his wall and said, one day I'm going to be king. Shepherds were like Baptists. You shepherd born and you shepherd bred, and when you die, you be shepherd dead. Shepherds remain shepherds. The only thing that you aspired to as a shepherd was to be a shepherd. We don't think about that in our country because in America we are told and we are taught that if you work hard and you aspire hard enough, you can become anything that you want to be. If you had to ask Dr. King when he was living, did he think in one generation that a black man would become president of the United States, Dr. King would have looked at you and in the common language of his day, he would have said, Negro, you crazy. And yet in one generation, President Obama is the same age as Dr. King's children. A black man has become president. Only in America, because that would not have happened in Israel. Shepherds don't become kings. And yet here is David. He became king. Why? Only because God chose him. In Psalm 78, we see the choice of God of David, don't we? Beginning in verse 70, speaking of God, he says, He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfold. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. David was not Ivy League, beloved. David was not major league. He was not raised a scholar. He was not trained as a professional warrior. He was a humble shepherd. But isn't that just like God? That God delights to exalt the humble. Isn't that just like God? That he delights to exalt the humble. Isn't it true? Wasn't it true of Joseph? Indeed it was. Wasn't it true of Moses? Indeed it was. But beloved, isn't it even more so true of Christ? God delights to exalt the humble. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in, in verse 6, that speaking of Christ, that though he was in the form of God, God did not, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, the form of a slave, and being found in the likeness of humanity. 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, whether it's in the heaven, on the earth, or under the earth. And he is Lord to the glory of God. And the Bible says there, why, how, who? He's exalted because he humbled himself. Because God delights, James tells us in chapter 4. God delights to exalt in the humble. This is so instructive to us. It should be to us this morning that we understand that shepherds don't become kings. Right? But you know what's even more amazing? That sinners become saints. You think it's amazing that shepherds become kings. It is even more amazing that sinners become saints. Consider yourself this morning, beloved. How is it that you have been found in the favor of God? How is it that you have been exalted to the place of a son and daughter of God? It's amazing that David became king. It should be even more amazing that we have become saints of God. But God delights to exalt the humble. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, Paul says to Corinthians, and he says to us this morning, for consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things are that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Here's the reality of it. David became a king, but David couldn't boast in being king. He had no right to the throne. He had no right to. He had no royal lineage. He didn't have royal blood flowing through his veins. He had no right to the throne. He could not boast in being king. And likewise, if you're saved this morning, if you're a child of God, if you're a son or a daughter of God, there can be no boasting in you. There can be no boasting. You have no right to your place in the kingdom. You had no right to be redeemed by God. You had no right. There was no divine and royal blood flowing through your veins. The only reason, beloved, the only reason that you and I are saved and not stealing our sins is because God in Christ Jesus, chose to be merciful. I think it was Andre Crouch who said, 
rightly. I don't know why he loved me. I don't know why he cared. I don't know why he sacrificed himself, but I'm glad, oh, so glad that he did. Now, you hear David? Oh, I'm so glad that he chose me. He could have chose anybody in all of Israel. He chose me. Is that your testimony this morning? He could have chose anyone. But he chose you. He chose you. And he chose us like he chose David so that we would show forth the glory of our God. And David did this. He did this all the days of his life and noticed the blessings that he received because of this. David's life was a full life. It was full. Notice what the Bible says. His life was full of days. David lived a long life, and that long life was full of blessing. But understand that long life itself is a blessing. Here's the point that the Bible makes to us in Psalm 91. Blessed is, blessed because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, God says. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. With long life, I will satisfy him. I will honor him. You understand that David was a man of war. He fought. When he was a shepherd, he, he fought bears and he fought lions. Then he fought Goliath. Then he fought the Philistines. Then he fought Absalom. Then he fought over and over and over again. David was a man of war. And do you realize not one time was David wounded? God preserved his life over and over and over again. Why? Because, beloved, understand that long life is a blessing from God. I know, I know some of us are often reluctant to tell our age, particularly you ladies. But do understand as God has given you life where you are able to see your children's children, where you are able to see the hope of the next generation, it is a blessing from God. And don't reluctantly receive those years that God has given to you, but glory in them. For they indeed are a blessing. This morning, this morning, Angel gave birth to a baby daughter. They named Christine Angel Woodard. Her mother, Winnie, has been in and out of the hospital recently in dire, dire straits couple of times we didn't know if she was going to make it. And yet the blessing of 
God this morning is that Miss Winnie is alive to witness and to see her first grandchild. To look and see the hope of the next generation and to realize that God has blessed her with a fullness of days. It's a blessing, beloved. Don't take it for granted. Don't reluctantly acknowledge it. Praise God for it. David's life was full of days. But not just full of days. Notice it says that it was full of riches. God adorned David with the wealth of Israel. David wanted for nothing. God prospered him over and over again. And yet, the prosperity of God in these riches was evident in the fact that David did not trust in these riches. David never asked for these riches. David never pursued these riches. But instead, David would echo the psalmist when he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. The problem, beloved, with the pursuit of riches in our lives more times than not is that we are more interested in getting the riches than we are in getting the one who gives us the riches. God does not have an aversion to blessing his people. He does have an aversion to his people worshiping the blessings that he gives. David was never accused of that, beloved. God adorned David with all the wealth of Israel. And yet, David never desired anything more than he desired God. He understood rightly that riches can be a blessing from God, and yet at the same time, God never tells us to pursue them. Never tells us to pursue them. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, the Bible says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God. There's David. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good work, to be generous and ready to share. That's the issue. And you see, that's the life of, of David. Wealth, beloved, is a blessing when it is used for God's glory. And that is what David did over and over and over again. What the Lord gave him, he gave back to God. He was full of days. He was full of riches. And the Bible says that he was full of honor. He was full of honor. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30, the Bible says that God honors those who honor him. And if that is the case, then we know that God honored David because David desired to honor God. And God bestowed great honor upon his king. So much honor that the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 16 that all of Israel loved David. All of Israel loved David. No king was ever so beloved in all the nation as David was. And yet, do you know that the greatest honor that David received was not that he had become king. It was not that the people of Israel had loved him. But the greatest honor that David ever received is that the son of Jesse, would become the father of Jesus. This is amazing, beloved. This shepherd boy not only became king of Israel, but this son of Jesse became the father of Jesus. For when you read in the New Testament, how often do we read that Jesus is referred to as the son of David? In fact, there are some 17 verses in the New Testament that refer to Jesus as the son of David. And this is a a title. This is a messianic title. This is a majestic title. This is the title that that exalts Jesus to the fulfillment of the promise of David that there would always be a king from David's line to reign over the kingdom of God. And this promise is fulfilled in Christ. Not just the Son of Man, not just the Son of God, but Jesus, the Son of David. And do you know that those who referred to Jesus as the son of David really got Jesus' attention? The two blind men who referred to Jesus in in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27. Blind Bartimaeus who refers to him as the son of David in Mark chapter 10 and verse 47. And the Canaanite woman whose daughter was possessed by a demon in Matthew 15 and 22. Isn't it interesting that the blind refer to Jesus as the son of David and this Canaanite woman refers to Jesus as the son of David. I I can imagine that the reason why that they refer to Jesus as the son of David is because they have no reference For who Jesus or who the other people really believe Jesus to be, who they're saying that Jesus is. You can imagine the blind people looking at uh, or trying or, or reaching out to Jesus and not seeing Jesus, and therefore they cannot see that Jesus doesn't look like a king. He's not dressed like a king. He's not walking around like a king. He doesn't have attendance like a king. And yet they refer to him as the son of David. You know, when the Canaanite woman refers to Jesus as the son of David, Jesus says to her, woman, you have great faith. Why? 
I don't look like David. I don't look like the son of David. I'm not walking around here looking like a king. But you know who I am. And it takes great faith to behold Jesus as not only Savior and Messiah, but to see him and to worship him as king. This is an honor bestowed upon David, the son of Jesse, became the father of Jesus. The life of David, beloved, this shepherd king was full of days and full of riches and full of honor. Even now, as we know Jesus to be the son of David. This is the life of David, beloved, but this life that David led led to this legacy that we have now. And you see it beginning in verse 28. For the Bible says that after David, Solomon reigned in his place. And this is very important. This is very significant when you understand just previously what the Bible says about what God has done for Solomon. Previously, the Bible says, Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in the place of David, his father. And he prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. All the leaders and the mighty men, also all the sons of the king of David, pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. And the Lord made Solomon very great in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. Why? It wasn't because of Solomon. It's because of David. It was because of David. It is the honor of God to bestow this prosperity on Solomon because of David. Well, David had left Solomon more than silver. David had left Solomon more than gold. David had left Solomon a good name. And the Bible tells us, doesn't it, in Proverbs 22 and, and verse 1, Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 1, that more precious than silver and gold is a good name. And this is what David had left to Solomon. He left him a lot of things, beloved. He left him a beloved country. He left him the wealth of Israel. He left him some big shoes to fill. And more than anything, he left him a godly legacy to follow. And God delighted to prosper Solomon because of that legacy. But it was a godly legacy, beloved. It is a legacy that started off with David and his love for God. As we have seen over and over again, David loved God because God first loved him and set his affections upon him. In all the days of his life, David loved 
God. People can question many things about the life of King David and all the ups and downs and the ins and outs and the highs and lows. But one thing that you could never question was his love and devotion to God. He loved him. Not only did he love him, but he told Solomon in his instructions, Solomon, you obey, you trust, and you love God as well. This is instructive to us, beloved, because I wonder if people really know you are a love of Christ. Again, fathers, on this wonderful day when you will receive the accolades and the honors at least one time a year, does your family know that you are a lover of Christ? Do your children know how much you love the Lord? Solomon could have never doubted David's love for God. Never. I wonder. Do your children wonder about yours? About your love for Christ? Is it evident in everything that you do? Is it demonstrated in the decisions that you make? Is it held up in the conversations that you have? Is it exemplified in the passions that you show? Do they see your desire for Christ above your desire for all other things? This is the legacy that David left to Solomon. It was a legacy that began with a love for God. And it is a legacy that continued with a love for Israel. For David not only loved God, but David loved Israel. In all this, the Bible says here, is recorded for us in the Chronicles. It is recorded for us by the prophet, Nathan, Gad, the seer. It's recorded all the ups and downs and the ins and outs of the life of David. And the thing that you really get over and over again is how much David loved Israel. He loved the nation. He loved her and he wanted Solomon to love her too. He lived with her Every day he was willing to die for her if ever called upon. And he was with his people. He was there. He was amongst his people. He wasn't a king detached from his people. When they worshipped, David worshipped. When they fought, David fought. When they prayed, David prayed. When they suffered, David suffered. Because he loved. The nation was willing to give himself for her. Here again, here again is the legacy of a godly life, beloved. Not only are you a lover of God, but the question is also, do you love God's people? 
David not only loved God, but he loved God's people. And the question for you this morning, particularly you us fathers, is not only are we a lover of God, but are we a lover of the church? Is that evident to those around us that we not only love our Heavenly Father, but we love the church, that we not only love Christ, but we love what Christ loved, which is the church? You may assume that this is true. But you can ask yourself some very poignant questions. For you do understand that if you are not a lover of the church, you cannot be a lover of Christ. There is no godliness without loving the church. If you're going to love Christ, then you must love what Christ loves. And you can't find yourself disdaining and despising what Christ loves and call yourself loving Christ. You know, our children are very familiar with the things that we love. They are. They know how much you love sports. They know how much you love cars. They know how much you love clothes. They know how much you love money, work, sleep. The question is, do they know how much you love the church of Jesus Christ. Do you know the Bible says that Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her, that he was willing to sacrifice everything that he had and all that he is to love her, to embrace her. And you and I claim that we love Christ, but we are not willing also to love and embrace that which Christ loves and embraces? No, no, no. There is no loving Jesus without loving his bride. There is no embracing Christ without embracing those for whom he died. David loved Israel, so the son of David loved the church and gave himself up for her. So too must we, if we are going to love Christ. It's the legacy that David left to Solomon. It's a legacy of a love for God. It is a legacy of a love for the people of God. And this, beloved, is then the goal of a godly life. It really is. You know, the goal of a godly life is simply this. It's to do as David did, and that is, is to finish well. 
has to live our lives loving God, loving God's people, and through it all, getting to the end and finishing well. In love with God and in love with His people. That's the goal of our instruction. That's the goal of godly life. And like David's life, the godly life can be up and down, in and out, joy and pain, sunshine and rain. But the goal, ultimately, is through it all, is to finish well. Do you know that the goal of the Christian life is not to avoid the pains and the heartache? And the sorrow, and the ups, and the downs, and the highs, and the lows. You can't avoid that. That is impossible. But the goal is not to avoid the sorrows and the pain. The goal is to, through it all, to finish well. To finish in faith. To say through it all. As Paul said, when he got to the end of his life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, says to Timothy, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. Beloved, finishing well is not being perfect. It's not. And this is why we all can finish well. Because finishing well is not being perfect. David wasn't perfect. Finishing well is being repentant. For the godly life is not the perfect life. The godly life is the repentant life. And this is why David could be called a man after God's own heart and could be set before us as a godly man because David, though he wasn't perfect, David was repentant. And he delighted to repent all the days of his life. And this is why he could lay down on his deathbed in the confident assurance that he had the favor of God. Where does that come from? Knowing the ups and the downs. Where does that come from? Knowing the sin and the tragedy. Where does that come from? Knowing the sorrow he caused. It comes from what I believe would have been one of David's favorite verses that he ever wrote in Psalm 32. Where he wrote, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose, in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
For David says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There it is, beloved. There it is. This is how he could finish well. Because he knew that through it all, through a repentant life, God delighted to forgive him all his sins. Songwriter had it right. He said, the terrors of your holy law with me can have nothing to do because my Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. Solomon knew his father wasn't perfect. He knew the sins that his father had committed. The nation of Israel knew that, his, that, that their king wasn't perfect, and they knew the sins that their king had committed. And yet David knew the one in whom he had believed, and therefore he could put his feet up in that bed. And rest his soul confidently and comfortably and assured in the favor and the grace of God. I believe on his deathbed, no doubt he would have done what so many saints do on their deathbed. And that is to turn to his own words in Psalm 23. There, as he drew near and the light was going out, where does he find comfort for his soul? Where does he find the assurance that all is well with his soul? Where does he find the fact that he is in God's good graces? He says to himself, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And David's been through it, beloved. He's been through it all. And even in the end, when he's coming to the end, he says, even though I must walk through this valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because as you have promised, so you are now with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Anointeth my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life as I look forward to dwelling in your presence forever. David, how is it that you can be so confident? You know what you've done. You know all the sins that you've left behind. How is it that you can be so confident knowing the sin that you've committed in your life? And David will look up from his deathbed, beloved, and he'd say, what sin? 
What sin? Because when I look back on my life, all I see is goodness and mercy. I see goodness and mercy cleaning up my mess. I see goodness and mercy trailing me every day, wiping up the sin and the iniquity that I committed. No, no, no. When I go to heaven, I am trailed all the way by goodness and mercy. And when I look back, that's all I see. That's all I see. Love, it is wonderful to finish well. And all finishing well means it's finishing in Christ. It's finishing in faith. When I lay down and the Lord went to life to bring me to the end of my days, all I need to know is that his blood still covers. All I need to know is that his grace is still gracious and that his mercy is still great. That is finishing well. That's not just finishing well, beloved. That's living well. That's living right. And that's all God ever asks. We're not perfect. You're not going to live a perfect life. But you must trust in a perfect Savior. You must know Jesus. You must know his goodness. You must know his mercy. And they must follow you all your We thank God, don't we, for the life of David. But even more so, we thank him for the life of Jesus. For it's his goodness and his mercy that is our portion in life and prayerfully, beloved, for each of us in death as well.